I'm going to turn to God's Word, to Hebrews chapter 13, the book of Hebrews chapter 13. I'm doing a, a short series just now on uh, what it is to have Christian leadership in our pastoral groups and why the, the thinking behind that. It's on page 1211. And I, I want to read um, the whole of this chapter, actually, because you'll see how relevant it is. Hebrews 13, verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And especially these words we're going to look at. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Amen. May God bless his word to us. Let's pray before we look at this. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks to each one of us. And even though we are here today and we may not know much, or we are very confused about different things, or we have 101 different issues on our minds, yet your word is directly applicable to every one of us. You speak to us through it. Grant that we would have ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to love, and wills to obey, for we ask it in your name. Amen. This letter to the Hebrews was written to Christians who were in danger of giving up and returning to their old way of life. You might be here this morning and not be a Christian, and um, you think, why would we talk about Christians giving up? Because there are people, there are Christians who do give up, and most of us, if not all of us, are at times tempted in that way. We're tempted to give up on the church and often tempted to give up on Jesus Christ. We are tempted because of discouragement with Christian doctrine. There are things we don't understand. Disillusionment with the church. 
hard personal experiences, <clears throat> persecution, ridicule, fierce opposition, satanic attack. And all these things cause many people never even to consider Christianity or to just give up. What is the solution to that? The book of Hebrews gives us many answers, not least by focusing on who Jesus Christ is, who he is, what he's done, his message, his priesthood, his sacrifice, what faith in him means. And then this last chapter, Hebrews 13, comes, it seems, a kind of strange. It seems as though it's a collection of sayings which are not directly linked. But I think they are linked. I think that they follow on from one another. And I think that they're telling us what it's like to live together as the community of God's people uh, in the church. The church has damaged a lot of people. A lot of people have been wounded by church. And um, you will get wounded. It is like a family. We had a lovely wedding here yesterday, Ewan and, and Sarah. It was a great wedding. It was um, unique, as uh, all weddings in this place seem to be. And it was, it was good to see them, good to see them being married and to be able to share together as a family. Someone might say, I want to get married, but I don't ever want to get hurt. Don't ever want to be let down. I, I don't want to ever have any hassle or trouble at home. I had said before that uh, many years ago, I said here that the Jane, I love Pride and Prejudice. I love Jane Austen. I'm sorry. I know it's a chick thing, but I, I'm, I really, really like Jane Austen a lot. I've read Pride and Prejudice about 20 times. It's just a great, great book. And I've seen all the versions of the films. It's just wonderful. But uh, I did say before, uh, a few years ago, that Jane Austen's view of marriage didn't really exist. You know, and they lived happily ever after. And uh, I, I got a wee bit of trouble for saying that. But I'm going to stick with it. Because... You do. You, of course you live happily and of course there is love. But just because there is love doesn't mean to say that there isn't difficulty. And I would say this. If you never want to be hurt by your wife or your husband, just don't get married. Then you'll never be hurt by your wife or your husband. It is exactly the same with the church. If you never want to be hurt by another Christian, if you never want to be let down... If you never want to experience hard times, then don't become a Christian and don't ever commit to any kind of church. The church is the community of God's people. It's God's family. And it means that if it's for real and not some kind of plastic showcase, we're going to have to deal with a lot of the issues that are addressed in this chapter, in this book. So we are urged to love one another. We are urged in this chapter <clears throat> to show hospitality, to care for those in prison. Actually, I'll do one of the notices just now. Because to show hospitality, there are two forms at the back. One is uh, for uh, people who would like to host a student. It's Freshers Week this week and new students are, are coming back. And uh, we always have students in the church here and it's always nice to provide a meal. So we're organizing a host a student scheme. So you can sign up to host a student. You can also sign up to be hosted if, you'd, if you would like a free meal and like to get to know someone 
And um, if you're in the congregation, you'd like a free babysitter, then there are ways that these things can be worked out. And those are at the back, at the end. Hospitality is just absolutely crucial in the church. Care for those who are in prison. Keeping our marriages pure. Staying free from the love of money. Holding on to correct teaching. Praying for God's messengers. Being prepared to go outside the camp, as it says later on. And that's that idea of of being prepared to suffer disgrace for Jesus Christ. That people may mock and they may ridicule. And they may say, what are you doing? You're crazy. Why are you going to church? Well, you're prepared to identify with Jesus Christ and to identify with those who are in great need, to identify with the poor and to, to stand with Jesus against some of the aspects uh, in our culture. That's what life in the church is about, and that's why we need each other. But this morning, what I'm really going to look at are these verses here. Oops. Is this not? Can you move it on for me, Adeline, please? Sorry. Who needs leaders? Why we need leaders? We're talking. Look at leadership in the church. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Now, this instantly jars. It instantly jars. It's a bit like when you do a wedding ceremony nowadays as well. The Australian church got in trouble a couple of weeks ago. The Anglican church in Australia, who are wonderful people, because they've reintroduced this um, wives promising to obey their husbands. And of course, it's been all over the media and terrible. And this idea of obeying leaders, in, in our culture, it makes us cringe a lot when we hear that. And I do know that it's one of the big problems in terms of the church. I, people will say to me, why should I go to church, hear one guy speak, or hear different people say things? This morning... Uh, I got an amazing email this morning. It was a lovely email from somebody who had seen our website and was really interested in coming to church until um, they said, I read about your leaders. And I thought, wow, they must know the elders and deacons in this church. Uh, but no, no it just, there was one aspect of that leadership, which was that they noticed that the vast majority were male. And so I can't come to your church because it, clearly it's got to be... You know, the thinking obviously is it's a patriarchal, male authoritarian. The women are just kind of little house in the prairie, all with wee doily hats and homeschooling and all that kind of stuff, all into submission and et cetera, et cetera. People look and they look at the structures. They look at what's involved and they say, well, wait a minute. That's not what it should be like. And even those of us who are in the church, we, we struggle sometimes with the leadership. So I'm wanting to from this text, explain how leadership is so important and why we need it within the church. I want to ask why we need leaders at all. Don't we just follow Jesus Christ? Doesn't the idea of leadership in the church conjure up images of priests and popes, authoritarian elders, charismatic pastors fleecing the flock? Aren't we supposed to be free and to decide for ourselves? Why should we obey? Isn't that model of, of leadership in the church, isn't it a bit like a, a good friend of mine who, when I first went to his house or his flat as a student, up on his mantelpiece was a photograph of his fiance and a photograph of his minister in, in full robes. I've been in many of your houses. I've not noticed many of you have a photograph of me up there, but I'll give signed copies if you want afterwards that you can put up. 
But it does, it does, I mean, honestly, if I went in and I saw a photograph of me on the mantelpiece and, and stuff, I would feel kind of freaked at that, and there'd be something slightly wrong with you, I would suggest, uh, at least in the context of our culture. So wh- why do we need leaders at all? Well, we need them because we want to be part of the body of Christ. Can you go on to the next one, please, Adeline? My beeper's obviously not working. Verse 15 of the chapter we read, Hebrews 13, through Jesus, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. The sacrifice of praise, doing good and sharing with others. Here's the thing, you can't do that on your own. It's like this, try clapping with one hand. You can't. You need two hands. Try being a Christian. Try doing good. Try sharing with others. Try offering the sacrifice of praise. Without God's people, you can't. Try singing in harmony with yourself. You can't. You, know, just, you just can't do it. We, we need one another. And our family needs to work together. And the, the image in the Bible of the church is that of a body, and the body needs a brain to coordinate our different functions. That's why Paul speaks of our head being Jesus and of Jesus communicating through his church. Now, how he does it is not the way that you and I might like. It's not, let's, we've all got equal say, we've all, it's a democracy, and let's all decide, and Jesus speaks through every one of us, and so on. He does provide a structure within his church. If we go on to the next slide, you'll see Ephesians 4, verse 11. It was he, that is Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If you want to do these good works, if you want to praise If you want to to communicate the gospel, then you do it in a body. And if you want to do it within a body, that body needs structure and it needs leadership. And the leadership in any church is crucial and vital. We need leaders then to prepare us to serve Jesus Christ and to prevent us from backsliding. The Hebrews were in danger of returning to their old way of life faced with persecution, faced with false teaching, faced with discouragement. They were tempted to go back to another previous way of life. And they were, they were told, no, stick with your leaders, follow them, imitate them, listen to what they're saying. And we need leadership to stop us descending into chaos. Um, Dave Henderson, who's leading the band just now, he's leading it. Now, that's quite important because if you imagine, if you're a musician, you just turn up and you say, well, we're just going to go free-flow jazz and just play. First of all, you don't understand what free-flow jazz is. You really have to know jazz really well. You have to know your music really well. You have to practice as well, and there's leadership involved in that. But if people just turned up and said, I'm just going to play whatever I feel like playing, you end up with chaos. If we stood singing, um, John was leading us in singing Psalm 80, uh, yeah, there's a form of singing where people sing whatever they want. Uh, you see it sometimes when you do a cappella psalm singing. There's always somebody who's going to go their own pace, and sometimes you think they're going their own words. Uh, it doesn't help. You, you follow the leader. That's, it, that's how you, 
stop descending into chaos. The ancient church fathers Chrysostom said this, Anarchy is an evil, the occasion of many calamities, and the source of disorder and confusion. And sadly, there are many situations where it really is very anarchic. So I'm going to take this text and offer four basic principles of leadership. Um, I'm actually going to take a couple of texts out of the passage you read in Hebrews 13, and I think, I hope you'll see that they are in context. We'll go on to the next slide. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Interesting. You can go into Christian homes and you'll see tapestried on the wall. Um, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I've never seen the verse before it included in that. Remember your leaders. And yet that is the context. So the first principle from this verse is very simple. We should listen to our leaders because leaders speak the word of God about Jesus. That's where things go wrong. When that is not obeyed. When leaders take to themselves authority based on the office or based on their personality or based on their support base within the congregation. We need leaders who will teach us the Word of God. Eric Alexander was, uh, and still is, uh, a great preacher and um, one of the finest Scottish preachers ever, I think, and he's personally been a great encouragement to me. And I went to see him in St. Andrews once when this church was very, very, very small. And he said, he gave me some very wise words of advice. And what he basically said was this, David, the church will grow because you're teaching the word of God. And when it grows, Christians will come in who want you to change. And I said, change from what? He said, anything. It'll be their particular thing that they want. And the pressure will always be on you to go away from teaching the word of God because you want to keep people or you want to please them and so on. And those words of advice, he said, don't do it. Just don't do it. Just keep on teaching the Bible. Sometimes you'll get it wrong. Sometimes you'll, you'll misunderstand or you'll misspeak or whatever. But you must keep teaching the Bible, even if it causes people to leave. Now, that's, that is very, very, very good advice. Acts 20, verse 20, Paul tells the Ephesian elders, You know I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I have taught you publicly and from house to house. It's my belief, my hope, my prayer, that the elders in this congregation speak the word of God to you. What their personal opinions are, what my personal opinion is, may be interesting or not. That is irrelevant it is, has to be the Word of God. And that's why elders have to give themselves to that, to learning the Bible and to seeking to communicate it in so many different ways. You do not listen to a leader who speaks from his own authority or his own opinion. You listen to a leader who speaks from the authority of the Word of God and the authority of Jesus Christ. People are continually, and Christians don't realize that doing this is like slitting your wrist. They are continually undermining the Word of God and saying, ah, yeah, the Bible said this, but, the Bible said this, but. 
and they want to get on to their own opinions and their own understanding and you, you'll sometimes hear people speaking about the mind of Christ uh, and what they really are talking about is their opinion. But I, I say this to you very bluntly, please feel free to completely dismiss or ignore anything that is just my opinion. My job here is to teach what God says. As I say, I will never do that absolutely perfectly, but I will attempt to teach what God says. And that's why it's a good idea for you to have a Bible with you when you come to church. It's a good idea for you to discuss and think about things. It's a good idea when you look at a passage and maybe somebody up here is teaching something, you go, I, I didn't get that, I didn't see that. Maybe you're wrong with that. And that's actually how we learn from one another. So your first principle is you're looking for leadership in a church where people will speak the word of God about Jesus. I did it again. I listened to a sermon this morning that I really wish I hadn't on the radio. And I, to be honest, if I'd been in that woman's church, I would have got up and walked out because you can forgive a lot of things in a church. But a leader who stands up and says, in effect, that the Bible says this, but the Bible is wrong. Why should I stay? Why would I listen to you? Doesn't make, what's, what's the point? If God has not spoken, then why am I just going to listen to your opinions? The next one, let's go on to the next one. Principle number two, we should, again, remember the leaders, imitate their faith. So principle number two is we should imitate the faith of our leaders because they follow Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the context of that very well-known verse. Leaders come, leaders go. Leaders change. But anyone who's seeking to be a biblical leader will follow Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The sameness of Jesus is the root of faith and obedience. Last week, you may have felt great. This week, you may feel rotten. Last week, the church may have been fantastic. This week, it may be rubbish. But Jesus doesn't change. He's the same last week. He's the same this week. And we seek to follow him. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, I know that there are people who, who become very super spiritual at this point, and they say, I follow Jesus, I don't follow anyone else. You're not telling the truth. And you're being remarkably ignorant about yourself. We all have examples that we follow. Some it's quite disturbing. You, you, you see parents who bring up their children as many images of themselves, which is always a disaster. Project their fears and their hopes and their aspirations on their children. And sometimes you see that that occurs within the church as well. But there's a, um, a reaction that people go against where they say, we, 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 I just make my own way, do my own thing. No, we copy people. We, we cannot help but be influenced by the people around us. And this is an important thing for anyone who's involved in leadership. People will see how you behave. They will see how you follow Jesus Christ. And it will impact how they follow Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of us would have the nerve to say, follow my example as I follow Jesus Christ. And let me say this to every single person who's a Christian here. You are to be 
And I, I don't mean this in a blasphemous sense at all, and please don't take this wrongly, but you are to be Christ to all the people that you meet. You are following Jesus, and therefore, they should be able to see who Jesus is like. And that is an awesome and a solemn responsibility. So the first principle then is simple. We should obey our leaders because they speak the word of God about Jesus. If they don't, don't obey them. Secondly, we should imitate the faith of our leaders because they follow the Jesus who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's go on to the next one. The third principle comes from verse 17. We should obey our leaders because leaders are men who must give an account to the Lord who loves us and gave himself for us. They keep watch over us. The reason Paul, or whoever wrote, he was not sure that it was Paul or not. The reason we should obey our leaders is they keep watch over us as men who must give an account. It's the image of the watchman. Thomas Aquinas speaking on Luke 2 verse 8, the shepherd who keeps watch over the flock by night, referred this to <clears throat> pastors, elders, leaders within the church. They don't, the shepherds don't say at five o'clock I'm knocking off. They, they watch over the flock by night. And they're, we, we operate in this church a system, pastoral groups and elders and so on. And pastoral care has, I think, been one of our great weaknesses because it, it's, it's difficult to get the balance right. You don't want to be inquisitorial and you don't want just to leave people to wander off on their own. And that's why we have a collective leadership and a collective where there, there are people who watch over you. Now, you can be part of a, a mentoring thing where somebody mentors you, but the bottom line is it is the primary responsibility of the eldership in this church to care for people and in particular to care for your soul. Yes, we care for your bodies. Derek Thomas um, from Northern Ireland, but now in the U.S., once spoke of um, prayer meetings. He didn't like prayer meetings sometimes because they were like organ recitals. We pray for Mrs. So-and-so's heart and Mr. So-and-so's lungs and Mr. So because we're praying for physical well-being, which absolutely we pray for. Uh, I personally have benefited from that enormously, and, and we will continue to do so. But how often do we pray for people because their love for the Lord has grown cold because they've stopped attending church or because they've distanced themselves or because spiritually they seem to be in a bit of a mess. Why doesn't that bother it seem to bother us so much? Well, we need to keep watch. Calvin says this about pastors or elders, only those who faithfully exercise their office, for, he's saying, talking about having respect for them, for those who have nothing except the title and indeed, those who abuse the title of pastor to destroy the church deserve little reverence and even less trust. I visited a church once where I was told that there were 60 elders. I said, wow, that's a lot for a church this size. Oh yeah, but half of them don't come except when it's communion and they're on duty. What? They're elders? They don't? Yeah, because once you reach a certain stage, it's a kind of an office of honor to be an elder in the church. It is if you do the work. The title itself is meaningless. Perhaps even worse 
are those who use their office to destroy the church, to undermine the word of God and discourage the Lord's people. So please, please do pray for those who have responsibility in this church, who uh, we all have responsibility, but have particular responsibility because we have to give an account to God for you as well as for ourselves. Next, please. The last thing is this, that we should encourage our leaders to be joyful by sharing and participating in the joy of the Lord's work. How many happy ministers do you know? There's a man called Lachlan McKenzie, who's a minister in Loch Caron, who had a nick, the nickname The Happy Man. In fact, there's a biography of him published by the Banner of Truth called The Happy Man. Uh, when I read it, I was greatly amused um, because um, Lachlan McKenzie kept an illegal still in his manse. Now, that's not why he was the happy man, but I always thought that was just intriguing. There was this minister who basically made whiskey illegally, uh, and he was a godly, he was a godly man. He was always uh, 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 cited as being uh, a godly and holy man. But I thought, what a great title, the happy man. Because I meet so many people, and this is not just ministers, obviously, and elders and others, but in your work, how are you? Oh, it's tough. Oh, it's hard going. Oh, it's a struggle. Because it is at many times. But isn't it better? It's like your boss in your work. Would you rather a boss who is miserable and grumpy and sore-faced, or would you rather a boss who actually enjoyed doing what they were doing and, and I mean okay you don't want them bouncing over the top all the time and come on let's inspire one another to greater onward and further and all that kind of stuff you don't want that kind of person because they could be really annoying but you want someone someone who enjoys their work and enjoys their life well you want leaders in the church who actually enjoy leading not because of the power kick not because some kind of authoritarian thing they've got in their heads not because it makes them feel happy and fulfilled, but just because they love the Lord and they love his people and they love it when... Um, I was going to... Yeah, I'll use this illustration. The A-team, the old A-team, where Hannibal, the leader of it, would always have these ridiculous plans and it would work and then he would say, I love it when a plan comes together. Well, from a leader's point of view, we love it when a church comes together. We love it when things actually work Philippians 4 verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Let me say this. I believe any minister should resign his job if he doesn't love and rejoice in his congregation. Because um, how could you possibly stand it? You have to love people. You have to care for people. It's the same with the elders. If you don't love the people, get out. Don't be an elder because you're going to end up making judgment upon yourself. 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And again, Calvin, there's a, a great quote here. He said, he's talking about elders and pastors. If their spirits are depressed with grief and weariness, even if otherwise they are sincere and faithful, they will become disheartened because their drive will fail at the same time as their cheerfulness. In other words, you keep kicking your leaders, eventually they're going to get so discouraged, they're going to basically give up. And that's no use to you either. So Paul's saying, look, obey your leaders so that it will be joyful for them. That all the qualifications, I'm not going to repeat them all again, but all the qualifications about being in the Word and so on are, are there, but it's still 
I'm blind. At one point, two years ago, 10% of ministers in the free church were off with stress. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. It's not that the work shouldn't be hard. It's not that being an elder shouldn't be hard work. But it should also be a joyful work. And my hope and prayer for this church is that we are a joyful congregation and that we would grow and develop in joy. It's a bit like um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Uh, you know, there's, there should be, I'm, again, I'm not trying to be flippant, but hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. Um, you know, with a bucket and a spade and you have various. Well, <laughs> there should be that joy when we meet for lots of things, you know, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to, we're going to go work at prayer, and then we're going to go work at cleaning the church. What a joy that is. And tea and coffee afterwards, what a joy that is. Isn't it brilliant? You get served uh, at the end by people who are serving tea and coffee who are really happy to do it, and they'll be serving you with a smiling face because they're just so delighted to be doing that. Contrast that with, here you go, have your coffee. Um, you know, it, it, it just, it's just a ch- I'm not talking about being plastic and artificial. I'm just talking about enjoying what God has given us to do. In the television series The West Wing, uh, there's one point at which President Bartlett is struggling with some personal issues and his staff, uh, his uh, CJ, his press secretary comes up and you know, he, he says, look, they can just get on with it. The staff can just get on with it. And she said, no, sir, they need you as president. They need you to lead. Sometimes in the Christian church, there is a lack of leadership because of cowardice. Sometimes leaders have become lax or less diligent because we have given up. Or people have given up on us. Actually, even in this culture, maybe especially in this culture, Leaders need to lead in a biblical way. Let's go on to the next one, please. That's why 1 Peter 5, 1 to 5, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, and please pray this, by the way, for the elders, a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. The chief shepherd. This church, I hope and pray, is a Christ-centered church. It is not my church. I read something about the American church today. Man says this, I believe with numbers, with many others, of the universal decay and now almost death of faith in society. The soul is not preached. The church seems to totter to its fall, almost all life extinct. That was Ralph Waldo Emerson in 1838 speaking to Harvard. And he was saying then, oh, the church is dying. And this is terrible. And do you know this? Every generation, you'll get people going, oh, the church is dying. The church is terrible. Look, the church in Scotland is in a mess. But you name me one period in history where there weren't people standing up saying exactly the same thing. Because the church has, in one sense, has always been a mess. 1838 is significant because that's the time of the Second Great Awakening. There were so many wonderful things going on in the church. 
Today, there are many things against the church in today's society. The gates of hell are in full force, but the gates of hell cannot and will not prevail against the church because Jesus said so. And Jesus is victor over the devil. And that is always so important. Christians who are panicking and freaking out about, oh no, what's going to happen with the church? What's going to happen with the church? Just go, no, no, actually, God is going to prune us. God is going to change us. God is going to develop us. And that's why it's a wonderful thing. I love being in this church, and there are other churches in Dundee, you know, Central and Logies and, and other churches as well, where where. Christ is honored, where God's word is preached, where people, even though imperfectly, seek to live for God's glory and leadership is there seeking to be for God's glory. I love God's church because Christ is at the center and because it's not dependent on us. And he's given us leaders for that purpose. Let's go to the last slide there. If you are disillusioned, if you are discouraged, if you are battered, Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Be encouraged by God's presence, by God's church, by God's Holy Spirit. Also in Hebrews, there was a tendency that Christians had to drift away, to stop meeting together. And Paul, uh, the writer to the Hebrews says, don't do that. Don't Give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another all the more. So you're coming to church this morning. is an encouragement to your fellow believers. Coming this evening is an encouragement. Sharing together in your pastoral groups is an encouragement. And I tell you this, praying for uh, elders and other people in the congregation, praying for myself, uh, it's just such an encouragement. May God grant that we would be a biblical, Christ-centered church with a biblical, Christ-centered leadership as together we seek to work and live for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Bless it to us. Help us to understand it and to apply it. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the elders within it. Lord, we come to you and we do confess our sin. We have not cared for your flock as you do. We have not shown the same compassion and zeal and love. Sometimes we have spoken wrongly. More often than not, we have not spoken at all. Lord, we ask forgiveness as those who have been called to be under shepherds. And as a congregation, we pray for your forgiveness as well. Because we too easily despise your church. We're so super spiritual, we say that we follow you, and yet we do not, and refuse to follow what you have ordained and ordered. We think that we are wiser than you. Lord, have mercy on us. Help us to be faithful and diligent brothers and sisters, servants together of you. And Lord, maybe there are those of us here who don't yet know you, and we, we confess our sin in that we do not belong 
to your church. We do not belong to you, and we ask that even through this, that we would long to be part of your fellowship, to seek forgiveness for our sins, and to enter in to the kingdom of light and of life. Grant, O Lord, that the church, this church, would be a mighty army, and your, the church throughout the city and beyond would be a mighty army of people who go out to fight not with the weapons of man, but with the spiritual weapons that you have given to us, that the enemy's strongholds may be demolished, and that millions will be taken from darkness to light, from captivity to freedom, from eternal death to eternal life. For we ask it in your name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.